You're listening to the Bootstrap SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Jonathan Koch, founder of Talent Genie and ClipDrop.io. Jonathan, super happy to have you. Thank you, Nicholas. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Let's dive right in because you have a very interesting story as you're not only working on one SaaS company, but multiple at the same time. So let's start with your first one, which is Talent Genie. Tell us a bit about like what it's doing and also like just a bit of the, the, the founding story of it. Okay. So, so Talent Genie started off um, being an uh, applicant tracking system, a recruitment management system in, in essence. Um, and at some point we started realizing the future of technology was going to lean towards artificial intelligence and, um, started playing around with that. And then eventually in, I think it was 2016, actually, you know, probably prior to that, the database technology that was set up, um, at inception was probably, um, the ideal type of database technology to, um, overlap, um, with artificial intelligence. So it uses, used parsing technology at an early stage. So that was probably about 14 odd years ago. Um, so with that in mind, you know, putting an AI model in place using natural, pan, um, natural language pattern recognition became something that was feasible. Um, so in 2016, the first layer um, was released and three layers later, um, here we are. So it's, um, it's quite a, a, a powerful tool. There's, there's some really good businesses um, around the world that use it and, and it's, yeah, I, I like to think of it as being one of those um, sort of late, well, I, I say late entrance to the to to the tech recruitment market, but one of the early entrances into the AI market. So, um, yeah, well, I think a lot of people now are trying to play catch up in that space. Um, we, we've been established for a while, so it's quite nice to know. Um, on the clip drop side, of course, that's um, that's where we see technology going as time progresses i think there's going to be a massive uptick in the demand to use artificial intelligence i think the cost of that is the human connection i think that that's going to be lost um and then the question becomes how do we win that back how, how do we especially in, in our space understand we were in the hr space right so i think more particularly in that space where you are dealing with human beings um we need to ensure that we make people feel comfortable. Well, what's become apparent is that people are getting sick and tired of yep. um, feeling like they're being spammed by bots and data, et cetera, and that's just going to accelerate. So, so how, how, do we, how do we reconnect? Here we are trying to employ human beings, all right, and we are behaving like a robot on the other end you know we behaving like so you you also. mean you mean we if you say we you're basically meaning recruiters that are like doing mass outreach via email via linkedin and just like really? do, doing the mass spam version of connecting with humans that they want to hire in the end and yeah, by absolutely. the way before before we dive deeper ideally give like a short intro of like what problem clip drop actually solves in terms of like the 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 tooling or feature set side of things Okay, so so in the recruitment process, there's there's um, a few places where a disconnection happens to lie. Now, 
Now, one of the, the, the things that you need to understand about ClipDrop is it started off being a video interviewing platform. That's where it started. So it was a case of, right, I've got, you know, I want to try and create a video interviewing platform, but I want to understand firstly why it is that so many um, people have what they call a negative candidate experience. That I thought was interesting. So we read a, a, a report. Um, it has subsequently been taken down off uh, the Deloitte website, but I mean, that's because of, I think it was a 2018 or 2017 report that claimed that about 40% of, of um, all candidates felt that they had a negative candidate experience when going through a online one-way video interview. Oh, that's interesting. No, it's, um, yeah, at some point, this is going to become the norm. How, how do you change that? How do you create a positive experience as opposed to negative experience? So that's the first thing that came to mind. We started playing with the ideas and, and it, so happened that um, I happened to meet up with a behavioral psychologist, um, as you might from time to time in, in the field that we're in, in, in particular in the um, humanities type fields. And, and I sat down and I said, you know, this is the issue that's been identified. What is your take? And um, through discussion, we, we identified that the biggest problem was that a lot of these applications were using text-driven questions. So it's very simple. I send you a text question. You've got to record yourself with the camera and send it back to me. Hmm. Disconnection number one, right? Disconnection yep. number two comes in when you look at the vast majority of businesses out there. I mean, if you had to sit down and say, all right, well, these are the businesses that I recognize. Most, most people, most human beings will not be able to name more than 20 businesses that they recognize as brands. There are thousands of businesses out there that are probably your ideal employer that you've never met before and you've got no clue about. This is, this is fact, right? So as a business representative, how do I communicate what our business is about to you? That started becoming the next question. So, so, in, a, so in a way, the tool is not doing, not only should uh, working in the recruitment or like, pushing the recruitment side, but also what some people do, like in terms of employer branding, having a fancy yes. website, bl not blogging uh, for the potential candidates, but that in the recruit, embedded in the recruitment process, basically. All right. So, so let me, let me tell you what the problem is with yeah. the website. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So, so this is what happens. Some people are very, very cleverly going out and they're creating employee type branding websites specifically for potential candidates. I'm a candidate. I get invited to an interview. I'm not going to say I'm looking for an employee value proposition branded site by Vodafone. Makes sense. I'm going to go Vodafone. Enter. First link I see. Thank you very much. And what I'm seeing is your sales pitch. That's what a website is. It's a sales pitch. But it tells me nothing about who I'm working with. It tells me nothing about the people I'm working with tells me nothing about the culture. I don't know what your employee value proposition is. I don't understand much about the team. I don't understand much about the job overview from a narrated perspective. I want a line manager or the hiring manager, as we sometimes call this person, to be able to say to me, listen, this is what it is that we are looking for. 
this is what I need in my team. I want to be able to have that, that discussion. But unfortunately, what happens, first-line interviews are usually something like on the phone or a quick Skype or Zoom or Teams meeting, very quick, in and out. If it's a phone call, it's 10, 15 minutes. If it's an online meeting like that, usually session for half an hour, 45 minutes, you're in and you're out, but you're literally coming into that process not knowing anything about the people on the other side of the phone. We need to address this. We cannot have this. AI is going to take my list of 200 or 300, even 1,000 candidates down to my top 10. Great. That's cool. I, I like the fact I can use artificial intelligence to make my life easier. I want a technology next that's going to like make my life easier with those last 10 candidates, but I don't want to lose the best candidate because I don't come across as being professional or my company doesn't come across as being professional. If there's something about my company that I can communicate that's going to convince that one individual, that one person, that this is the ideal opportunity for them, I need to be able to communicate that. And how better to communicate that than to help increase the levels of serotonin and dopamine in the human brain? I need to captivate you. I need you to look at what I'm presenting and go, wow, this is interesting. I want to come find out a little bit more. Do you think that TikTok, all right, and Facebook and Instagram Reels don't know this? We don't use this in our businesses. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. So true. We, 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 we're watching people, we're watching kids getting addicted to this stuff, and we're sitting there going, oh, these kids, you know, we really need to try and, and get them off these devices. You know what? The reality of the matter is that that's part of their lives and it's going to be part of their futures now. They're going to grow up with a more connected understanding than we will ever. Yes, there's be a lot of misinformation. We can see that every single day. All right? There's always misinformation somewhere. But the reality of the matter is that if we embrace that and we start using that in our businesses, we're going to go a lot further. So we Makes need sense. to find a way of doing this. And this is exactly what happened with our, our discussions around behavioral psychology. We found that if we could take, firstly, the text-driven questions and remove them all, we start using video as opposed to text-driven questions. So I record myself asking a questions. You get to answer according yourself. Firstly, that makes you feel a lot more comfortable about dealing with the human being. Okay, you get to see tonality or see facial expression and hear tonality. You know that about 20% of um, texts from WhatsApp are misinterpreted in some way or form. Now you're expecting someone to answer a question correctly? Come on. Come on. There's a misalignment of realities here. So we, we need to be able to, to use tonality. We need to be able to use um, you know, the visual like components that we have, our facial expressions, et cetera, body language, to try and drive forward what really is being asked. So that's the first thing. So let's get that out of the way. The next thing is that I want to be able to prepare you to put your best foot forward. If there's something that you have inside of you that I want to see, because a lot of people, as you might know, will say higher for attitude and not just for skills. Skills is obviously important, but higher for attitude. I want you to show me that attitude, yeah, firstly. Secondly, if you know what you're talking about and I hype you up, you're going to deliver the best possible answers and you're going to be more enthusiastic about it. I want to see that. However, if you happen to be the one person that wouldn't fit in our organization, even though you might have all the knowledge that we need, 
and I go and show you a couple of culture videos, et cetera, and you go and you sit there and say, well, I definitely can't work with people with long hair and beards. Well, sorry, half the people have long hair and beards. You know, If that's the case, then you're not going to be as comfortable. It's going to come across in the interview. So it becomes this hidden kind of, of filtering tool at the same time. So essentially, what we do from the interviewing perspective is we start off with that. We go and give them just an absolute onslaught of information. We increase their dopamine levels. We spike their serotonin levels. We make them feel good. And then they get to see all these different videos and then decide if it's something that they're going to pursue or not. Those that pursue it, generally speaking, are going to be the guys that are going to be successful. Right? Those that don't want to generally are the people that wouldn't be successful. But it's so important to try and get them into a space where they understand what they, who they're dealing with. There's nothing worse than going, walking into a job your very, very first day. And I remember doing this when I was still in the UK many, many years ago. Walk into that very, very first job that I got and I thought, great. Money was selling was great. Everything looked fantastic. And I walked in, I sat down. And within about half an hour, I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing here? It was just a complete <laughs> and utter mismatch of culture and fit. All right. So we're trying to eliminate that. That's one aspect. But that's where we started off with Clip Drop. Yeah, that was just the beginning. And then we started saying, well, we got the video interviewing done, right? That's great. All right. We all like that. But there's lots of video interviewing platforms out there. What more can we do with video? So then we started playing around. We thought, well, what if we did something similar on LinkedIn with a reach out? So you know, we'd come across one or two people in the past that often spoken about leaving posts behind on LinkedIn and groups, et cetera. So we started with that. You know, and spaces where you could click to go and immediately enter into an interview or where you could enter your information for um, an ap actual application. So that was great. And then we thought, well, what if we actually did candidate outreach direct candidate outreach on LinkedIn and Facebook. So we now in a position where we can we can take that random text message that you would normally send to someone with the skills that you need and we can just say, you don't need to do that anymore because you don't like to be ignored, do you? No, you don't. So we record a bespoke video and you drop it in, just literally copy and paste a, a um, URL into the messaging um, apps for both uh, LinkedIn and Facebook. A GIF pulls through, so you'll actually see the video inside the um, messaging app. You can push the play button. You can be educated about the position, about the people, about the culture. So you go through this whole process of, of imagining what it might be like. You get to have your mind captured by this message of great opportunities, um, and hopefully they're true. You know, we can't always we can't always predict what our clients are going to do, um, but we have this this capacity now to actually take our message and make it personalized, hyper personalized. In fact, I can go and greet you, Nicholas, and I can say, Nicholas, I'm really interested in having a chat to you about something that we've got. We're we're we might not have heard about us, but I'm sure that if you look at these videos that I've included over here, that there's going to be a little bit of curiosity that starts to creep in. And I think that that's where it becomes exciting for us because now we are finding ways of using this video tech to reimagine connection.
This episode is brought to you by ReactSquad.io, the boutique React agency for SaaS startups. If your front-end team is overwhelmed and you need more hands on deck, go to ReactSquad.io and get a React.js developer embedded in your team in less than seven days. So on the one hand, you're not only making the recruiter's job easier by filtering for them, but you also give the candidate way more transparency to evaluate, is it, is it the right job? And so on. also basically transparency and humanity in both sides in a way. Absolutely. Now, now you can understand the power of that, right? Now, we, we're going through this massive process right now globally of kind of abandoning technology that has been around for the last 30 years in favor of technology that's going to make life even easier than it was before. And the catalyst for that is artificial intelligence. All right. The unfortunate thing is that along the way, all right, the casualty is going to be the human connection. Okay. And who do you think is going to listen to you all right, more? Someone that feels like you've connected with them in the future? Or someone that sits there and goes, all right, well, I've, uh, I've, there's a job opportunity. There's five of them. In fact, I'll just find the first one that the AI thinks I'm best for. No. You know, that, that's, that's not how it's going to work. The, in, in the future, we are going to find ourselves in a very, very different position. I'm going to give you a, a, a simple example. Na name a, a, a franchise, takeaway franchise, food takeaway franchise in an area that you, you live in. Subway. It's like the typical it's thing not, nearby. Typical. Okay. All right. But so now let's assume for a second that you're on a date. Okay. And maybe you've been with this person for a while and you really want to make it special for them. All right. Take them to Subway. See how it goes. It's not going to work out, will it? Not even for a first date. Here's the reality, right? You talk about Subway or any other franchise operation that's copy and paste. You're getting the same type of service. I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel as if I'm special, that my partner that I'm taking out for a meal that I'm trying to impress, she, he, whoever it is that I'm taking out needs to feel as if they are being looked after, that it's special, it's a nice occasion, the moods must be right, we want to spike the dopamine and serotonin levels for other reasons, so we do this sort of thing. We don't do that by going with the generic principal recyclable process. We go and we drink craft beer because the craft beer makes us feel special. We have nice craft gins. You know, we go to a place with real flowers on the table and not plastic flowers. You know, we try and make an effort. And I think that this is the big thing. That scenario has started to play a bigger and bigger role. And if you start looking generally globally, generally outside of America, Things like fast food franchises, although they exist, are slowly but surely being replaced by people that are going to, like that little corner shop that happens to make the best farmers I've ever had. Do you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. kind of like there's a person that's crafting that for me, you know? And, and I, I know you have a, a, a um, franchise farmer place further down the road that, that we all used to go to. But actually, you've got to try this guy out. And I think that, that there's more of 
that starting to happen as, as the digital divide starts taking grip. And the deeper the digital divide is going to become, the more important a craft beer is going to be. The more important it is going to be to go and have that bespoke shawarma where I can say to the guy, no, actually, can you put a little bit more of this or put a little bit more of that? And that's exactly what's going to be happening with technology. And we can see that. We've been around in the, in the AI space for a while. And we can see that this trend is going to accelerate around AI. But at some point, there's going to be a massive breakdown. And we need to start compensating now. We need to start making sure that we've got the right technology to connect what happens next after AI has done what it needs to do. That's where so we do are. you think winning the way to win AI is basically to double down on the humanity, meaning letting the processes that can be automated be automated by AI, but taking that leftover time to be extra human, to let the other person feel extra special? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. You, you, you look at some environments, right? So um, we've got some clients that, that will recruit and, and, and they've got, I suppose, the sort of businesses that you might recognize as a mass employer. So they might have 40 or 50,000 people. Now, we have a process where they are looking for a new CFO. And it's not just people that are qualified at CFOs that will apply. It's anybody that thinks that they have an acronym that they identify with, including call center agents. Okay? So this is a problem. We've got one particular company that was looking at a CFO position. They had just over 800 applications coming through. Of that, 350 were call center operators. Do you understand? There, there, there's this issue that we have with the wrong people applying for the wrong positions. And it's simply because of you know, them not necessarily understanding or just taking a chance. Who knows? But the reality is that there's a, a large one. Incidentally, it is estimated that in some places, um, like in Europe, you get only a maximum of about 20% of people actually meet the criteria. If you go to places like South Africa, which is far removed from where you guys, it can be as low as 5%. You go to places like India, it could be as high as 35%. So there, there is, there's different regions obviously are very different. But what we want to do is we want to say, all right, well, all those candidates that do not meet my criteria up front, that are call center agents trying to be the next financial director of this organization, I don't want to see your resume. I'm sorry, you didn't pay attention to what we advertised. Thank you very much, but you're out of here. Then I'm left with maybe 10% of the candidates, of those 10%. Maybe I feel that only 5% really, really are ideal for the position. I'm going to let the other guys go down gently. I'm going to say thank you very much, um, but we have uh, made a shortlist. The other guys, let's see who the right candidates are. If, however, I need to source candidates and I'm not getting that ad response, it's a completely kettle of, different kettle of fish because – by that stage, hopefully the AI has taken me through my ad response handling and I've realized, actually, there's no one here that meets my criteria. What do I do now? <laughs> I've got to go out and find these guys. And you know what? It's difficult to get people to respond to me. I'll give you a perfect example, right? So I often say to people, you got WhatsApp. A random person sends you a WhatsApp. Yeah? You don't know this person. Do you respond to them? They've sent you a nice message. No way. <laughs> no way, right? So now you, now you expect people to respond to you. You don't know who they are, but you know, the expectation is that please respond to me. 
but I don't know who you are. I mean, how many times you get an SMS? It's all marketing and spam if you still use SMS. You know, how many times you go into your junk mail folder? You generally don't. If someone phones you and it's an unsolicited call, I don't even bother speaking to them. If I hear my name and it's a certain tone, there's people talking in the background and I hear the word insurance or cell phone company, or so, <laughs> I put the phone down. Okay, I don't even question it. Why is it that we expect people in recruitment, people candidates in particular, to respond to us? We've got, just as an example, I've got a, a head of development working for me. He gets five requests every single day from people trying to recruit him. For him, it's spam. That's the reality. Okay. However, if I hyperpersonalize something, and we've seen it, our stats have shown that for very scarce skills, we get an increase of more than 200% in response rates. More than 200%. And that's pretty incredible. That so makes the difference. Yeah, that yeah, makes a big difference. So it's that hyper-personalization, right? So it, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. So we in a position where we're sitting down and we're saying, well, we've hyper-personalized something and our results show something and the results are incredible, then at some point in time, you know, it becomes a trend. At some point in time, people have to admit that actually we need to bring back some of that human connection again. And I think that's where what we're aiming for. We understand the power of AI and we'll grow in that space, but there's something else. There's something else that we've been missing and I think companies in general have been missing and we don't want that to be missing anymore. We are, at the end of the day, we are, we are humans, right? And I think it's important for us to actually feel connected that's really super. Good. That's super. That's super intriguing. And I think they're also they're the. I mean, when did you found Talent Genie? Twenty fourteen. So I think that's like close to ten years of of HR and recruiting experience that you now shines through. I would love to just like for the last like ten minutes we were having together, just like switch gears a bit into like the company building side of things because like the thing no. like I I stalked you on LinkedIn like a good podcast host does before before recording. And you're running three companies at the same time. And I think Talent Genie is like roughly a couple million ARR. I'm not sure if, like how much you share there. But like, how do you actually manage that? Because from the outside, running three companies is a crazy thing. Like, I mean, that's stuff that we know Elon does. I mean, maybe it's just a South African thing, who knows? Uh, but like, how, how, do, how do you actually manage that? Like, in, like literally in, like super in the weeds, in your day-to-day, -day, do, do you have like CEOs for two of them? Do you have like a COO who you trust deeply? Like how do you actually pull that off? Well, I think firstly, the, the South African market is a lot smaller than a lot of other markets. So um, yes, we do have, have companies in, in various places outside of South Africa um, that, that use our products. Um, but, but fundamentally, if you, if you think about it this way, you can centralize a lot of things. So, you know, you can centralize your accounts. Um, if you have a, um, a good sales team, you can cross-sell products if it's in the same environment. So we, we focus on talent products. So, you know, one sales pitch for one of the products always leads to a demonstration of something else. 
So yeah. you so you run those three companies, not like three independent companies would be run, but more like a multi-product company in a way, with like a, a, the typical metrics organization. Yeah, correct, correct. And then what we do is we we sell the the product separately. Interesting. So, so if you if you want if you want X products, you don't have to take any of the others. It's we'll send you separate quotes for everything. You want all of them? Great, fantastic. We'll combine it all, and you can go forward. And then over and above that, what we do is we we offer certain services at low cost, like we have free training, free support. Um, we also have strategic services where we strategically align your um, your recruitment and your talent acquisition goals um, in your business with technology and with suggestion and best practice and so on. So a lot of, you know, to, to be quite fair, I've never really worked for anyone directly. I've done consulting work at, at stages for large banks and some insurance companies where I've, I've had to build recruitment teams. But I have effectively been in the recruitment space. I started my first recruitment agency when I was 21. So... You know, I've had the opportunity to explore this environment for a long time, and I, I know how it works. And I think it's leveraging off that really gives me a bit of an edge. I wouldn't say, yeah, you know, all the edge I need. I'm always learning something else and something new. But um, once you understand that from a strategic perspective, you can you can instill a lot of what you experienced over the last 24 years with other organizations, and a lot of corporate society do recruitment themselves and you know 10 years ago it was the opposite they used to rely solely on recruitment agencies so there's there's still a knowledge gap so we offer strategic services at the same time um, and we don't expect anything in return other than for them to use our products um, you know whatever products they would they would like to use and if they want to use any additional services we can actually provide them with that but it's a good model for us uh, you know SaaS business sure that's what we really are, um, multiple products, sure. But I think the value add is where people really sit back and they, they listen to us. When they start to realize that you know, there's, there's a lot more that we offer than can offer and, and a lot more guidance and, and so on that we can offer them. I think that's where we see that positively start happening in our organization. Makes a ton of sense. And then for, for a person who has like the first says up and running, but like has like this entrepreneurial itch. I think like most of us here have it, which is like the, the new shiny thing is always very, very intriguing to us. What do you think should be, or like in what position should you be with your says, with your, with your company so that it makes sense that you make your jump? Because I think I see, or I'm not sure how much you're on Twitter, but on Twitter you see a ton of like indie hackers they have like product number one, 10 bucks MRR, product number two, build it, shelve it completely, product number three, 300 euro MRR. But then they're basically hopping from thing to thing. Um, and even though exploring is super important in the beginning, I think at some point focus is one of the most important things. So how, how would you advise someone to know when the right time is to make that jump from like single product company to multi-product company or even starting like a complete separate thing? So the first thing that you got to realize is that you can never stop with any one of the products. So 
what happens is that you, you might end up employing some people that share your vision, understand what you're doing, and possibly just maybe they can help to grow it in certain areas in, in the way that you like it to be grown. So you might want product enhancements, and it's so important to continue to do product enhancements. Um, but I think beyond that, there's a lot of other things that need to be considered as well, right? So you've got your product enhancements, obviously. You've got all the other aspects of the business that need to be running. Um, so the question then becomes, how you know, do you lose focus? No, you can't. You can't. You've got, to, you've got to literally stay on top of it all the time. If you want to lose focus, that's what holidays are for. Count. Go on a holiday. All right. The question really is how do you get it into market? And, and for that, it's so difficult to say it's product specific, right? So if, if I've got a cell phone and I've got an app, somehow I've got to get on that app, I need to get traffic. So I need to figure that out, social media, et cetera, buy and bought social media is another one. You know, people do these sort of things on a regular basis, news feeds, public relations, et cetera, et cetera. Your SEO needs to be right if it's going to be a, a proper SaaS-based product. So that, that's one thing. It's going to drive some some traffic. You're going to get a lot more referrals more than likely from um, from people that have used your product in the past and have said, hey, you know, actually you should guys try this out. That that's definitely something that I think is is a is a major driver. Um, there's there are a few things. If you're in the corporate space though, if you're doing business to business or business to corporate type sales. Picking up the phone is sometimes the thing that you need to do. And a lot of people will inherit, for instance, legacy systems. And they'll kind of make the legacy systems work. Until such point is that a system in, in the stack changes and all of a sudden, you know, what we used to use no longer plugs into what we needed to plug into. Now we have an issue and now we need to make a change. And then they'll go out on the hunt. If you were there first and you presented to them a year ago, and actually this is just what recently happened to us in the last few months, we presented to an organization in 2019, we showed them our AI, um, and in December last year they reached out to us and they said, right, we changed our stack and we need someone that can come ahead, come along and, and plug in. Can you guys do it? And we said, well, we've got the integrations, we're ready to go. So we now have a very large retailer that has joined us. And, and this is fundamentally, you just understand that, that, that there are different ways of playing the game. It just depends on the product. You know, um, if you're going to go and download a meditation app, I wouldn't know where you should start. If that's what you built and you expect me to download, I don't know anything about that. I don't know how to get that going. But if you're looking at corporate, I would say focus on SEO. Focus on you know, getting some, some sort of uh, traction from public relations outreaches. Create content. It's going to be a while before you get any real reaction from any content or see anything happen, but keep doing it. It might take two years. Just keep pushing out the content. Keep making sure that SEO is right. Keep delivering the best possible services to the clients that you do have, even if you end up having to work you know, 16-hour days. You know, just keep delivering, keep delivering, keep delivering. Eventually, the tides turn. You know, but that's it. And focus. If you're going to do everything all at the same time, like for me, focusing is a product suite. So it's 
one product, multiple products that can bolt onto that are all related. I'm not losing focus. I'm marketing, you know, one set of products at, at a time, effectively. You know, but if you had to change direction, if I had to say, right, well, I've been involved in this space. Now I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on, you know, zenning art and creating a meditation app and that's going to be another another focus. And these are two different things completely. At some point, there's a crack that will form between the two of them. And I don't want that. So yeah, I think that's I a, think I think that's a perfect. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. So basically, if you strive or you have like the the drive to go multi product, then do it in a way where you strategically can stay focused, where like the one cross pollinates with the other. And we can basically use like one go-to-market engine to, to drive all of them. Yeah, and shared services. Helps cut down a lot of your costs going forward. Definitely. Yeah. Any, like, I mean, you're in the, I think you started your first company when I graduated high school. So asking from like a, a young guy's perspective, is there anything looking back at like basically like your 10 years running SaaS companies that you would have loved to learn way, way earlier? Yeah, I think so. A um, few things. Never, never employ friends or family. Okay. Never take advice that's free. Because generally speaking, if it's not coming from someone that has earned that, that advice, so someone that's been an entrepreneur themselves, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, I think the other thing that I, I realized is that your employees are not your friends. Don't expect them to work as hard as what you are. It's not, they don't have a vested interest. They're not going to earn you know, dividends or grow your business for you, uh, you know, with their, their future in mind. The only person that has a interest in seeing the business thrive is you. They have an interest in seeing a paycheck at the end of the month. Don't get confused. Don't get confused. All right, there's a big difference. And, you know, if you feel that you're in a position where you are developing close relationships and friendships with people, at some point you're going to end up being disappointed. Yeah, they are going to chase the next big paycheck. And you're going to feel betrayed when they leave. But actually, they're not betraying you. They're looking after their own interests like you are. So I think that would probably be the, the, the most important thing I would say is, is don't get too close to your staff. Interesting. That's a unique thing, especially in the, let's say, fluffy, which is like a negatively connotated word, maybe like family first or family vibe kind of kind of way that it's like pushed a lot nowadays. No, that's fine, but that's for their family. Let them and their family be pushed first. Encourage that. That's where you. I mean, come on. If if I'm in an environment where where I can have an extra couple of leave days to spend with my family, it's encouraged to leave the office a little bit earlier to go and spend time with your family. Fantastic. I'll take that. We can all create a nice working environment. Don't get me wrong. If, yeah. if, employee, if employees become friends and they stay mates for 20 years, that's awesome. 
you know what, they, they have got the same sort of goals and they've orientated themselves in the same sort of way. Same time, need a decent salary, got to pay off some debt, got to go and take the wife out for a nice dinner, got to make sure the kids are, are well-educated and clothed, etc. And there's an opportunity that's come as offering me 25% more than what I'm currently earning. I'm going to take it. Mm. Okay. That's fine. That's what they've aligned to. All right, that's their path in life. Your path as an entrepreneur is completely different. You have to think differently. If you didn't think differently, then you wouldn't be. A- the other thing, of course, that's very, very important to understand is that it's not easy. None of this is easy. Don't expect it to be easy. It's really not easy. It will be the hardest thing you ever do. It'll be harder than you can possibly imagine. That's why people don't do this sort of thing. That's why they avoid it. That's why I've got gray hair and most people that I know my age don't. All right? The reality of the matter is that becoming an entrepreneur and making a success out of it is not easy. It's going to be the hardest thing that you probably do. All right? But if you do it properly and you commit it and you forget the noise, just cut it out and say, well, I don't mind doing 16-hour days. I don't mind not taking a holiday. In four or five years' time, you're going to be in a very different position. You're going to have things that no one else can possibly imagine. You can go away for six weeks and your business can keep running. You know, where everyone's battling to take a week's leave, you're the guy saying, well, well, I've heard Cancun this time of the the year is great and maybe Philippines after that. Why not? You know what I'm saying? I'm just... Like it's it's as an entrepreneur, that's the route road that you're on. That's where you're going. It's not going to be easy. It's not meant to be easy. Okay, it really is not meant to be easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. I think those are perfect last words, at least for a podcast. So, Jonathan, thanks a ton for coming on. It's a pleasure, man. You have a lovely day. If you like this episode, you will love our newsletter, The SaaS Operator by Early Note. Get actionable insights from SaaS veterans like Patrick Campbell, Christoph Jans, and Corey Haynes right into your inbox. Your five-minute read every Tuesday for free. Go to earlynote.com and subscribe for free.